You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And returning once again is our friend John Harrington. Hello. Oh, John, you excited for this one, number two in the Terminator franchise? Absolutely. All right, I'll let you introduce it. What are we watching? We're watching Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. Twenty-nine-year-old female diagnosed as acute schizoaffective disorder. She believes that a machine called a Terminator was sent back through time to kill her. My son, he's in great danger. Are you the legal guardian of John Connor? What's he done now? There was a guy here this morning looking for him too. Yeah, a big guy on a bike. I wouldn't worry about him. Get down. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now, you reprogrammed me to be your protector here. He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. T-1000, advanced prototype. Kill us all! Go! Come with me if you want to live. We don't have much time. Excellent. It's definitely you. Hasta la vista, baby. The trailers, even the trailers are top-notch on this film. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. And we got to talk about one of the greatest teaser trailers ever. Ever, ever, ever. If you, guys, if you guys haven't seen the, the formation of the T-800 teaser trailer, before you even like listen to this podcast, like watch it real quick and then come back and listen to us here uh but like doesn't that just set up everything like that's coming so well doesn't it just it gets me hyped to watch a movie i've seen fucking 1000 times already <laughs> yes watching it i'm just like yes like yeah i want i want to watch it i want to watch it i'm trying to remember what movie i saw in the theater when i saw that and you know i just turned and turned <laughs> like right looked right at my mom or dad's eyes and was like I must see this. The, <laughs> nothing in my life matters anymore. <laughs> except this. Uh, which I didn't get to see in the theater because of RoboCop 2. That'll be a funny story. I'll tell everyone when we do RoboCop 2 eventually. But I can't tell you that my mom took us to that. And after that, she's like, nope, 
<laughs> now all movies I take you to, I will research. <laughs> <laughs> she became a better mom, but you hate her for it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She, she became one of the worst moms of all time. But at the same time, a wise move. Well played, mom. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. Uh, but we before we got on to this, we all shared that we all saw T2 Judgment Day before Terminator. Yeah, yeah. this one, I, I saw this first. I just I saw it when it first came out on, uh, like, pay-per-view or whatever. Uh, when it was on TV, I was, like, three years old, and I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, <laughs> as even as, like, a little, little kid watching it on TV, I was like, this is amazing. And I, I, st- I still think it to today. I think I've gone on record saying many a times that uh, T2 is the greatest movie of all time. Um, I've also... Uh, and and maybe that's not necessarily true. Uh, I love it though, but uh, it's certainly the greatest action movie of all time. Yeah, I mean, only Howard the Duck's a little bit better, but right, right, yeah, yeah I mean, oh that's, yeah, clearly, yeah, it's, it's it's but it's it's two, it's like one B. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, no, especially story wise, you know. Yeah, I mean, a duck travels from one dimension to another. Oh, you're talking about T two. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> So, I, yeah, I think most people agree. This is, I could, very few people probably wouldn't put this in their top 10 action movies of all time. Yeah, I can, yeah, I agree with that. I think I'd lose my mind if someone said, oh, Terminator 2, it's not that good. Like, we're not friends, ever. Yeah, <laughs> way, to, way to cut people out of your life because, yeah, if anybody ever did say that to me, anybody ever talk shit about Terminator 2, we just, we wouldn't. We don't even need to know each other exists. If that's yeah, the case. You're, you're riding them out of the will. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you don't even say no to them. You just turn and walk away while they're still exactly. talking. Exactly. Yeah, you do a Terminator exit. You just yes. go and walk away. I won't be back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like ever. <laughs> Hasta la vista, those, baby. This is one of those movies where I remember the first time I watched it. You know, you can't do that, I think, with every movie. But I remember vividly sitting down and the cameras panning across all the like uh, debris of the like charred remains. And I uh, look over at my dad, who says, "I think you're going to like this movie." And I look back just in time to see a T800 foot smash a skull, and it pans up, and it's a robot sitting there and there's just a war in the background and i was like yes <laughs> I, that's one of the most iconic action shots i can think about i mean the first one had it where like the tank tracks rolled over a bunch of skulls mm-hmm. and then he recreated it in this one but it's so much better yes because that that weird ass foot from the t800 with that mm-hmm. weird heel like like, like mm-hmm. it's just a ball <laughs> Yeah, of, of that of that way that looks, a lot of that you like when you look at it, you're like that mechanically makes a lot of sense. But then when you see the foot, you're like, eh, how does that work? Yeah, it's uh, when they put the skin around it. How does that? And then you go into like a, uh, you know, just a sci-fi like coma. And you're like, I've gone too far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is when I should pull back. I should yes. let people like Stan Winston worry about that. And that's oh. the man we're going to highlight for T2. And and we should. I mean, Stan Winston probably deserves his entire his own show, his own podcast, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> Sorry, Stan, but uh yeah, we lost him young. He died at 62 in 2008. 
Born yeah, in... right around. Yeah. Didn't he help a little bit with uh, Iron Man, like in its early stages, and then? Yeah, I'm not an expert on this, but I think he designed the Iron Suit, the first one. I think. Again, not an expert on what he did for that, but I knew there was a reason why I liked that first Iron Man suit. Going into this, uh, he was a California. So it was interesting. Uh, he's one that got away from home. He went. He traveled afar. He was born in Richmond, Virginia, and he went to California State University, Long Beach. He's just like, peace out, parents. Yep. Opposite <laughs> coast. But, uh, yeah, so he wanted to be an actor in 1969, but he was struggling to find a job, so he took up a makeup apprentice uh, apprenticeship at Walt Disney. So, I mean, he went for the gold. <laughs> he must have been good. <laughs> yeah, he's got talent, that kid. Yeah. He may not be an actor, but he can put on my makeup any day. <laughs> like, the hell? He must have started on Noirs. Yeah. <laughs> he was a very niche job. <laughs> yeah, all those Disney noirs that we fondly remember. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, 1972, age 26, son of a bitch wins his first Emmy award on his effect work. His effect works for um, the CBS TV movie Gargoyles. Yeah, I've seen that movie, and the gargoyles do look amazing. Yeah, 26. Man, he makes me feel like a failure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, they do. They're, I mean, for a TV movie, can you imagine how little money he probably got for that? Right. And they look fantastic for 1972 Gargoyles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then it, in 1982, the year I was born, he was 36. He received his first Oscar nomination for Heartbeeps, which is a movie I love to show people, at least the trailer, because it's such a weird one with Andy, Kauf- uh, Andy Kaufman in it. Yes. And also what I love, and I did not know this, that he lost the Oscar. There was only one other person nominated, and that was Rick Baker for An American Werewolf in London. Ooh, bad Tough. year to be nominated. <laughs> Tough. <laughs> uh, they're like, okay, let's see here. Rick, you've got a transformation of a werewolf. That's incredible. And Stan, you've got, oh, Andy Kaufman in a robot suit. Wow. Did you just hear the fireworks in the background? Yes, that was like perfect timing. (laughs) Yeah, really good timing. Yeah, wow. (laughs) It was a bomb. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's funny because for a second I was like, did did he do that on purpose? (laughs) Yeah, I I got a soundboard and we're going to start being like the Howard Stern show over here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no one should ever give me a soundboard. (laughs) It'd be fucking awful. But yeah, don't worry though. He did win an Oscar. In 1987, at age 40, Winston won his first Oscar for the best visual effects alongside Robert Shattuck, John Richardson, and Suzanne Benson for another James Cameron film, Aliens. Uh, and the poor bastards that were up against him were uh, I'm not going to read all their names, I'll put them in the notes. Uh, when we put this uh, show out, but uh, Little Shop of Horrors and Poltergeist 2, The Other Side. It's a, it's a tough year to be up against the Queen Alien. What a time yeah. for uh, practical effects, you know? And, it, and like, Stan Winston was always one of the top guys. But now with T2, we've, this is kind of one of the first movies, uh, like, in the timeline of release of movies, 
not in like our episodes, but one of the first movies uh, that we've talked about that is like using CGI in computer effects for the first time too. Yeah, Industrial Light and Magic and a few other studios. So uh, behind the scenes, I've got some great notes on uh, Industrial Light and Magic, what they had to do. And I feel like a lot of times, we always talk about practical effects. We know we love them, but this one just feels like, I mean, obviously it's on the Mount Rushmore of special effects movies in my eye. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It's number one. It's this in Jurassic Park. Like these are, that's how you do a, like a blending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right. incredible. And, and it's, you know, as you were kind of saying that, like they talked about how this was, uh, when you ask special effects workers, hey, what was really the first one? They're like, yeah, no, it was uh, it was Terminator 2 because a lot of people assume and think that it was Jurassic Park was the thing that, you know, really paved the way. And like, but the professionals were like, no, actually it was Terminator 2. Yeah, and it only has like three and a half minutes or four minutes of special effects shots. But man, when they use them, Whew, it's effective. <laughs> it was interesting now looking how they do things nowadays compared back then because they had to, they had to shoot the like blank slates and blank uh, scenes for the special effects like five months before they filmed the scene. So they had to go out a pre like pre light and agree like hey the lighting's gonna look like this the scene and the shot's gonna look like this. Then they filmed it and then they took it off to begin work on it, but when it became time in production, they wouldn't get to that scene on the shooting schedule until like five months later. That's crazy. So really like, but nowadays like you can, they'll just have like someone that visits it and almost can do it the same day, you know? Now it's so, so much more streamlined in the films that, but I mean, they were inventing the stuff at this time. Yeah. So the like, cause I've in the past been like, Oh, we should probably stop using T2 and Jurassic park as like the benchmarks because they were so much different and these people like this is the top people in the business now and they were all working on these movies because they're they were inventing him i still it's the top two movies in my eye um and i always think of twister too yeah that's an early example of very good effects and then you know to go down his uh, he won a couple more oscars in 1992 for this movie uh, and he beat out Star Trek VI and Backdraft. And he won, he won his lot, last Oscar uh, for Best Visual Effects in Jurassic Park in 94. Oh, man, listen to the movies he beat. Cliffhanger and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Sorry, Stallone. <laughs> Could you imagine being the person you're like, we'd like to congratulate you. You've been nominated for Best Visual Effects of 1993. Oh, yes, sweet. And then you look at the note of like who you're up against. And the first one you read, you're like, Nightmare Before Christmas? Eh, I think I got a chance. You know, really good film, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a cartoon. But, uh, and then let's see, what else is on here? Jurassic Park. You just rip it up. I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason they'd go. go to the show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the only reason you'd want to go is to mean Stan Winston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but he's also directed some films, and one I love. His first one is 1988, Pumpkinhead. Uh, I, I watch that one probably every October. I just I love like that I film. Knew he directed that. And then uh, he did a gnome named Gnorm. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yep, seen that one. That's on the Vidmark app on Roku, if anyone wants okay. to watch that. Yeah, that's... Uh, 
That is a notoriously... It didn't do very well. Let's just say that. <laughs> but uh, he also... You would have to be not normal to watch that? There you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> uh, he also directed with uh, Mr. Jim Cameron the 1996 T2 3D movie that we talked about in Terminator. A battle so. across time. I I loved this 3D attraction at Universal. I, I'd seen it a few times before they took it down, um, and it it it's awesome. And yeah, they're one of the Blu-rays that we talked about. It has it on there, but I don't know which one. But uh, I hope uh, I hope people get to watch it. I hope it exists beyond uh, the park now that it's gone. I hope it's at least on YouTube. I haven't looked it up, but something has to be um, right. I always so I asked a question on this, and it's what is your favorite Stan Winston creature? The T Rex, probably. The exoskeleton uh, T eight hundred is pretty up there too for me, but I think the T Rex. I mean, they built a they built a fucking T Rex. How crazy is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I I also like the Queen Alien from Aliens a lot. The Predator, of course, from Predator. I don't know how much he had to do with that, like, on, you know, boots on the ground. I, I know, like, the actual artistic render of it he did, but I don't really know much. But I always think of one that's, I'll just point to one that I really think is underrated, and I don't hear a lot of people talk about it, is The Gorillas and Instinct. I don't know if you guys remember that film at all. Uh, it was that, in the mid-90s, oh, yeah, maybe yeah. 96, 98, uh, something like that. Yeah, that's uh, Cuba and uh, mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen that movie. Gorillas, not like Congo. The Congo gorillas, you know, were stylized and clearly, you know, someone in a suit. But the gorillas and instinct, I always remember just being like some of the, it was so good that it tricked you. I was like, oh, those aren't real? Holy shit. Yeah. I, I thought I'd spotlight something that's a little underrated in my mind. Nice. Let's move on to the rental shop on the Friday night, walking down. And we've got our VHS box cover of Terminator 2, which we know we rented. <laughs> like, I'm not no. even... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not even going to rent that. But uh, we've got a few that I put in the notes here. Um, and then I'll let uh, Matt describe his. But... You can definitely see that they started with the black, blue, and red colors. But man, did that fade quick because now all I see is silver. The one I watch is kind of in between sort of the the red and the the silver ones because it, it doesn't, mine doesn't have any of the red on it. Uh, like, it. Like some of these older covers, the Schwarzenegger is red, the title's red or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the version I have is uh, similar to the artisan one you have pictured here. But it's all like holographic, so it's like kind of silvery, but kind of also that blue that is part of the color palette of the movie. Uh, yeah. So, and then if you look at like the DVDs that came later and the Blu-rays later than that, they're all all silver. So it's funny how that did go through this kind of transition. Do you guys like more of the red, or do you like more of the silver look? I think I like more of the red look, but that's that's the one we had at home. So I'm I'm. I'm biased on that. Yeah, I'm also I'm biased to like the one that I have, the kind of in between one that uh, doesn't include any of the red, but has, has it's still the VHS and it's still like blue, silver, shimmery. Before we went to the full silver of the, like the DVDs, so yeah, I'm bi- I'm biased too, but I like I like the look on my VHS as well. 
I think I like the silver, silver blue look. Um, and then just using the red for the eye. Yep. Very smart. <laughs> yeah, I, I always like it because you know the like too much red can sometimes be a little bit much. Um, I do like the original release where they use red a little bit less, where it's just in the Schwarzenegger. Uh, and then sometimes I've seen some other releases where it's just like too much red. It's it's interesting. It's a interesting um, evolution of how they decided to market the movie. Yeah, yeah it's funny and that it, like it's years later, and we're like we have to pay somebody to redo the cover of it. Like the, that's a funny idea. Yep, but those artists get the money, so I'm happy for that. <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw this movie was on the VHS that we rented the first weekend that it came out, and my. My parents couldn't stop us. Uh, we actually watched it at my uncle's house, and my mom had to keep hitting my dad to cover my eyes. <laughs> Especially at the beginning. like It started when they're in the bar scene, and he's getting stabbed and everything. She's like, he can't watch this. He can't watch this. And and then my dad would like reach over. He's like, look away. <laughs> you know I didn't. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, no way. This is amazing. He just got <laughs> stabbed in his rib. But. My dad would, uh, he would purposely, my mom would be hitting him in the movie theater to do that. And then after the scene is over, <laughs> you, my dad would loudly go, cover your eyes. <laughs> Which you didn't. Absolutely not. Scene's over, dad. Thanks. Like, you didn't get the joke until 10 years later. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> you know, Mr. James Cameron returns for this. Uh, no, actually, I should let you uh, read the description on the back, which I think is, again, pretty short. Yeah, it's it's not that long um, on this one. My my cover is uh, like different from the ones you have pictured here as well. Uh, like, my stills are different on the back. Like, I've got Arnold with the gun in the prison, and I've got, like, the T-1000 and the, uh, the factory at the end and a, and a shot of Eddie Furlong in different positioning kind of than uh, what it looks like on the 1998 one you have pictured here uh and mine is listed as 1999 so maybe they slightly changed it up here but yeah my description looks a little shorter than some of the other descriptions here but this is what it is he said he'd be back but although he portrays the same model terminator schwarzenegger reprises his role with one major difference this time he's the good guy arnold schwarzenegger returns as the terminator in this explosive action adventure spectacle now he's one of the good guys sent back to protect john connor the boy destined to lead the freedom fighters of the future. Linda Hamilton reprises her role as Sarah Connor, John's mother, a quintessential survivor whose warnings go unheeded by a world careening toward a nuclear holocaust she knows is inevitable. Together, the threesome must find a way to stop the ultimate enemy, the T-1000, the most lethal Terminator created. Co-written, produced, and directed by James Cameron, Terminator, Aliens, Titanic, this visual tour de force is also a touching human story of survival. You know what blew my mind on this was, um, so I had only seen the teaser trailer, but I the only shot of the T-1000 I had seen before this film came out was him like turning into you know the liquid metal and busting through the helicopter. I guess was it the windshield of the helicopter mm -hmm. or whatever that is. So when this movie popped in and then we have you know, all these, like where he's turning his hands and knives and everything. It blew my mind. Cause I don't think I knew a movie could do this. Uh, obviously none of us had seen it with the CG, but like as a child, my mind was expanding with what was possible. 
Yeah. In movies, because most of the movies I had seen, it just seemed simpler. And I don't know, maybe I'm not describing it well, but, you know, it was just like, oh, Ninja Turtles were running around in suits and doing karate. Got it. But fighting the bad guys. And but this movie just felt like it expanded my mind with like, you can do anything in movies. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) that looks that looks real. That is so realistic. Just blew my mind. That's what I always I, I remember this in Jurassic Park for just expanding my mind. But when I watch this movie today, I mean, I could, I know how they did it, you know, but I'm still like, I'm still a little kid when I watch this movie. I watched it again today before we did this. And like every time I watch this movie, I'm like, that's real. I believe that. When the T1000 walks through those bars of the prison, I'm like, that's a real thing. And that's really how that thing works. 100% agree. Like, there's so much in this film where he blends the realness of the world with the incredible imagination. And I feel like this was one of the first movies that like, like same thing with RoboCop, but again, RoboCop was a guy in a suit walking around, Mm -hmm. you know, like I understood my young kid mind understood what was happening with this one. It was just like, my God, (laughs) he can walk through bars. I'm looking at it. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what adds to how you're kind of like, uh, that's the fear of it a little bit because you're like what he he can't get hurt how are they gonna stop it like so he also poses a like a real threat that you're, yes you're not used to seeing like when you like say if it with robocop was a bad guy you'd be like well he's like a robot so he can't like run you know like you can even your little kid brain is like well yeah he can't do this he can't he can't do this yeah, yeah. But this guy you're like he can do everything he can chase. He can run fast enough to catch a car. Yeah, I, I remember Sarah Connor when she asked. She goes, "What is that?" And you know, T eight hundred explains that he's a prototype. So this other guy, he's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. A T one thousand, advanced prototype. You mean more advanced than you are? Yes, a mimetic poly alloy. What the hell does that mean? Liquid metal liquid metal and all that she goes can he be destroyed and he goes unknown and i always remember that when i was a kid like i probably missed chunks of the movie after this because i was trying to imagine how to kill it yeah i was like it's impossible he's liquid they built they built a perfect villain because the whole time you're watching the movie when you don't you know you don't know how it plays out you're like how are they gonna stop this guy this guy is literally unstoppable everything they try even at the point at which when they blow him up at the end in these little pieces he still comes back together again you're like this guy can't be stopped yeah and my brothers and i used to have an argument i was just like they should have picked up the metal pieces so it couldn't have melted and then he couldn't have formed into his full body like we would have like these whole yeah. like yeah. like no that's that's the only way i mean Obviously, you throw them in fire, but we, we would all just have these like little things that they did wrong in the movie. The characters, not the movie did wrong, but the characters. Yeah. Where we were so invested in the story that we were just chopping apart the movie and like what they should have done. Which I, I feel like when you're, you know, my little brothers and I were just sitting around watching these films, it made the film bigger than it, what it already was. Mm-hmm. Because we would go to the water coolers at at school and have discussions about this film. And even, think about this. Could you imagine seeing this film? 
Like seeing the teaser trailer and then going and telling your friends. But imagine being the one kid who got to go to the theater and then on Monday morning coming back and saying like, I saw a film that changed my life. You know, like... <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> like how small our worlds were back then. This film would have been... This is it. We could die now. I know I'm like 10, but I'm done. It's good. It can't get any better than this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, seeing it, seeing it on TV, seeing it like not like edited because I think I, I I think I saw it on like pay per view when it first came out, but like seeing it on TV for the first time changed my life in the fact that like I feel like this movie is essential in shaping my opinion on movies in general. Like this movie really like shaped my taste. I'm right there with you. It also shaped. Maybe too much of my opinion on films, like where the scenes connect together like chain links. Oh my god, yes, this is like a perfect movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just like every scene, like where he drops the bullet into the back of the truck and then he picks up the bullet later on the movie to blow up, you know, like all these little nothing like in the theatrical version. And this is why James Cameron likes this one so much better. Nothing is wasted, no, everything is there for a reason. It's magical. It's the greatest film ever made. Yeah. It's movie magic. Putting in the tape, we got I got one trailer on my um, double tape, and it was the Subway commercial from 94, 95, or whatever. Prices are low at Subway, but I'd rather focus on sandwiches. People call them hoagies or heroes or submarines because they're shaped like submarines, but we call them Subway sandwiches. Our six-inch meatball sub features meatballs and sauce on bread I just baked, all for a low economical price. I won't say how low, but you'll probably find enough in the cushions of your couch. For nearly 30 years, Subway has made some of the best sandwiches anywhere, like the six-inch meatball sub, only $1.99 at Subway, the place where fresh is the taste. Which is always lovely to see these old TV commercials. I, I love, like, finding these things on tapes. Yeah, they're great. Uh, promos or commercials are wonderful. Uh, what I, I got, I got a couple of different things on mine. Maybe because mine was later, it was mine's from '99. So I got a promo that was like for Artisan's uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone collections. So like the Rambo movies were on there. Red Heat was on there. Uh, Lock Lock Up or whatever the Stallone one. It was like a montage of all the different Schwarzenegger Stallone ones that Artisan had. And then I got a preview for the Ultimate Edition DVD. Uh, so it was like the first time that T2 was coming to DVD uh, from Artisan uh, with the three cuts of the movie. And sort of like how they used to do those advertising, like DVD, it's the future type thing uh, with this movie. Uh, so yeah, well, let's put in its feature presentation time. And now, our feature presentation. And uh, right when we get into this, the THX liquid metal promo beginning whatever we want to call this i even remember that when i first put this in blowing my yeah. mind everything surrounding this movie is what makes this movie so mythic we talked about the yeah. commercials we talked we're, we'll talk behind the scenes about the toys and games and all that the the teaser trailer yeah the, the way they modify the thx logo to fit the branding of the movie the branding of this movie is so good yeah it's one of the best branded movies ever because right I mean, I think this is the first time that the THX audio, you know, logo was ever changed for the branding of a movie. 
I mean, I always remember sometimes Paramount would do something with their stars or TriStar would, you know, where they changed something about their logo. And it was always cool. I think Paramount, didn't they do it for Indiana Jones? Yeah, it's Maybe. a first shot. It's, uh, it shows Paramount in it. it. It blends to the mountains like the same from the Paramount yes. logo. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anytime a film does something like that, it just seems like it connects so much better. They're always memorable. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So we uh, we get into this film, and this this may be the best introduction of a character ever. He lands, you know, from the electric. I mean, they show the war in the future, but then they go straight into, you know, the T eight hundred coming back. <laughs> and when he walks in that bar, I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. I need your clothes, your boots. And your motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) You forgot to say please. The the scene is just perfect. Yeah. Even the casting of the guy who is just like, you didn't say please. And then he burns him with the cigar. Right. Love it. These two opening scenes, you're going from the amazing war scene which is just like mind blowing with the colors and how it looks and everything like that. And then you go to this scene and then it's like capped off with bad to the bone when he comes down and he's, you know, in, in the, in the biker outfit or whatever. And I just don't know how you could see this and not be like, this is the coolest fucking thing ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. Cause like right away you're like, this is not the first movie. Like it's, it's, it's instantly like it's, it's the same story. But this one's like, it's so much different. Oh, yeah. It sets up how much bigger this film is right away. Like, you remember the first Terminator. You haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. Because this shit starts and it introduces, like, characters one by one. You know, we get Edward Furlong playing John Connor where he's a little shit ignoring his mom. Anyone catch who the mom was in this? The stepmom? Yes. Yeah, she's in Alien. Yeah, she's Jeanette Goldstein. Yeah. Yeah. She's Vasquez and Alien. So there's another example of James Cameron reusing an actor. Yep. I now I've never heard why he reused her. It worked well for me. I you know that would be interesting. I wonder if they were friends or anything like that. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, Jeanette Goldstein and uh Xander Berkeley, the stepdad, they play the perfect like or not stepdad, foster parents. They play like the perfect like annoying foster parents for this like for this world for this movie. Oh yeah, the dad is just you know she's like, can you get him in here? He hasn't cleaned that room in a week, and he goes, oh whoa, if it's an emergency, (laughs) where you're like, will you just take your role as a dad, you know, somewhat seriously, you dick? Yeah, you're always making the mom out to be the bad guy. Yeah. But I also love that it comes out and it introduces who Edward Furlong is as a character right away because he's just like, she isn't my mom, Todd. Like the <laughs> way he says Todd, you're like this, yeah. this dude. Like if you're a kid, you're like, that dude's cool. If you're a parent, you're like, you little fucking shit. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and then it goes, you know, I don't remember the role, uh, what orders they go on, but when they introduce the T-1000, how just cold and menacing he is. Mm-hmm. He is, and then until he talks to somebody, then 
then he's like really polite and it's like he's switched it on mm -hmm. and that's something the terminator doesn't do but the t-1000 does he's, do you have a photo of john it's a nice looking boy but like the terminator is just straight flat right to the point really blunt yes he is better at blending in mm -hmm. he's much better because i mean arnold you look at him he's just a giant guy in a bike he's just yeah, he does, there he is no blending blend in exactly uh, he would be a terrible like assassin you'd be like hey look at that giant huge man coming my way <laughs> <laughs> look at that guy he looks like an assassin yeah at least robert patrick you know be like oh thin build he doesn't i mean he does have really distinct facial features but I think if Robert Patrick walked up to you, you'd be like, uh, hi. You know, like, it wouldn't be like, if Arnold's coming at you, you'd be like, um, I got two choices here. Fight or flight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me not to, not to see him and think of one of the characters from King of the Hill. He looks like the one that always wears the sunglasses. Boomhauer? Yes. No, not the one that's like, Myron, I'll tell you what. Not. The other one that has, like, he's got the red hat and... His wife is clearly sleeping with the Native American guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks to me just like him every time I see him. So he's, like, visually not intimidating, but he he is very, you know, as you as you uh, watch the movie. But we have uh, probably, I, I would say the second best introduction, just behind Arnold's introduction, is Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, as her character has completely changed. Yes. I mean, she had quite a character arc in the first one, going from like the innocent, go, you know, like happy waitress to the, you know, someone who's ready for battle who helped defeat a Terminator. And this one, she intimidates you right when she turns around from doing those uh, chin ups or pull ups. She's a force to be reckoned with from moment one in the movie and never lets up. She is just fears now yeah and in, in this one she reminds me of ripley in the like she doesn't actually have a character arc she's just getting shit done yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good point she's strapping her boots on and she's like let's do this i don't care what it is i'm doing it getting the job done just like a pure soldier the guy who ah did i write down his name yes doctor uh dr um silberman who's yeah. played by earl bowen we didn't actually talk about him in the first one. He he doesn't really have much of a, you know, he just introduces, you know, what uh, how crazy the characters sound in the first one. But this one, he is some of the best, like, recapping the first Terminator I've ever seen. This next patient is interesting. I've been following the case for years. 29-year-old female. Yeah, Diagnosed as acute schizoaffective disorder. The usual indicators, depression, anxiety, violent acting out, delusions of persecution. <laughs> the delusional architecture is fairly unique. She believes that a machine called a Terminator, which looks human, of course, was sent back through time to kill her. That's original. And also that the father of her child was a soldier sent back to protect her. No. He was from the future, too. The year uh, 2029, if I remember correctly. And here we are. Morning, Sarah. Good morning, Dr. Silverman. How's the knee? 
walking around with the uh, students mm-hmm. or yeah, whoever. Twenty twenty nine. Yes, I believe it was. Uh, yeah. And then she believes the uh, judgment day is uh, August 29th, 1997. And uh, the person sent back to kill her was a Terminator. And, and of course, looks like a human. Which you know, yes. that is James Cameron taking a jab at his own movie. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that doctor is... How, like how convenient it is that the other guy also is from the future. There's, oh, I can't remember what he says now. But he, he mentioned something like how it's very convenient that he's also... But the other guy is also from the future, too. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't actually say it in that, but they kind of allude that nothing was found. So that's kind of like how he doesn't waste anything that lets you know. It's it's bigger now that, you know, we've seen this movie a lot of times, but it kind of lets you know that, like, someone took the exoskeleton. That somebody has the arm. Yeah, and whatever was else left. Because um, I, when did they actually introduce Miles Dyson? Not until it's kind of uh, Sarah Connor is kind of quizzing and wanting to know more and more and more from the Terminator, and he's kind of he kind of gives her uh, the lowdown as they're driving uh, south. It's somewhere in there. So it's after they've after they've picked her up from the. The I've, I've seen, I watched this today, but I've seen each of the three versions of this equally probably as many times, so I can't remember. But I do think there's one. You see one scene before, like the home invasion scene with Miles. Yeah. I think you see him one time at talking to somebody about the technology. Ah, uh, that's right. One of the young guys are like, "Hey, uh, I'm curious. Where did it come from? Oh, you know, I said that on my first day. You know what they told me? What? Don't ask. Right." Yeah, and then I he like shows the arm, you know, and, and then mm-hmm. what I always thought was really cool how they push in to the like panel and then it pops out. Yeah, I was like, whoa, that's possible. That also blew my mind as a kid. Yeah, I was like, it's a secret door. <laughs> so futuristic. Mm-hmm. Fun to watch it now as an adult because there's so much little things like. The reason he went into the room is because he had to sign out the microchip. And so he's going in there and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that explains now why they did that. Because you don't pay attention to the words as much as, like, the fact that that robot arm looks really cool, you know. And it came out of a secret door in a wall. Yeah, and I also noticed that a lot of this movie is shot during the day, unlike the first one. Right. Where they do the brilliant job of flipping the T-800's mission. Mm-hmm. And I know Arnold was very much against when he first found out James Cameron. is like, no, you're going to be the good guy. Because Arnold said he was tired of playing always these good guys. He really liked the Terminator because he got to play a bad guy. But James Cameron's like, no, no, trust me. This is going to work out great. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he was oh so right. I think Arnold, I honestly think Arnold should have won an Oscar for his performance in this movie. And I'm not even like joking. Like I'm being totally serious. Yeah, he does a fantastic job. He does an amazing job of you. You know he's a robot. You know he is a Terminator, whatever. You know that he's the T-800. But the way he kind of develops like a soul almost throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And, and you see it in his eyes. And it's like, fuck, like this guy mm-hmm. should have won the Oscar this year because this performance is amazing he's so good there's there's times where there's like a young child in his face when he's asking questions you know when they're like working on the car in the desert and stuff like that and he's you know beginning to learn 
and then to the point where yeah he's saying goodbye and you can it's almost like he's he's learned enough to actually make a uh, a face to really empathize that he's like when he's saying i'm sorry because he knows he's gonna hurt john and that's going against like you know almost like some programming he has because he's in a way, he's hurting John by leaving, but it's yeah. something he has to do. I know now why you cry. Yeah. And you're like, you're going to make me cry, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> I get chills every time. <laughs> yeah, the thumbs up. Oh, every time. Every Iconic. Time. Every time gets me. Oh, it would have been tough, though. He would have had to beat uh, Anthony Hopkins this year in Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that'd have been a, that, could you imagine if they actually would have nominated both of them? People would have flipped out. They'd been like, the Oscars, they've lost their mind. Yeah. <laughs> the Oscars used to stand for something. Where are my Warren Beatty's and Bugsy? Bring back, bring back the old times. Oh well, we're, we were the thinking Oscars about nominating. It's an American thing. We're doing yeah. like... <laughs> foreign accent yes I know. <laughs> well it is like it's the foreign press that does a lot of the voting right or am i just making oh, that up that's the well, golden globes oh it's golden press. globes okay so the oscars are just a bunch of really old white people at that time yeah yeah at that 90, time yeah yeah. yeah 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 they're like hey uh how about we uh nominate this black guy fire him fire him <laughs> <laughs> like oh but we're supposed to be the liberals let's nominate the older white guy sounds perfect yes oh warren Beatty, robert de niro robin williams <laughs> anthony hopkins great choices who should we throw in for the fifth one we know that won't win i don't know nick nolte wonderful <laughs> wonderful <laughs> <laughs> that's the only time someone has put those two things in the yeah sentence. nick nolte and wonderful <laughs> Thank you, Google, oh, for that making was the other one. That was the other one. Was uh, was the the surfing movie with Nick Nolte and Keanu Reeves and uh... Oh, that wasn't Nick Nolte, my friend. You're talking about Point Break. Yeah, oh, that was Gary Point. Busey. Oh. <laughs> the greatest Damn. actor on the history of mankind. <laughs> the, fail. The entire universe knows you failed that one. Yeah. Can you edit that out of the podcast? Never. <laughs> Never. The truth has to be out there. All right, back to our movie. <laughs> yeah. Huge derail. Yeah. Well, I mean, he brought up a good point. Maybe Arnold should have been nominated. He well, he has a lot of the actual like things you need. He's white. <laughs> he's male. Done. Yeah. Right. But he's I, in a sci-fi movie, and that uh, would never happen. Yeah. Never in a million years. There's such a bias against genre stuff among the awards community. It was a, it was a shock that even Anthony Hopkins won for being oh, in a no. horror movie. That uh, was part of me like doing the whole little joke of like they've changed is because right. that was so controversial. Right. But could you imagine if they put a sci-fi movie and this movie in there, a sci-fi movie and a sequel? Get out of here. <laughs> it would never happen. Oh yeah. No, like even Warren Beatty couldn't get an actor's, you know, like nomination from Dick Tracy in it. And he got like a bunch of awards, but they were all like the, 
you know, best makeup and best production, you know. Oh, yeah, they'll give technical awards to sci-fi stuff all the time, but if it's acting or anything like that, no way. No. And they won't film the technical stuff. They'll show a clip of it, uh, like yeah. a snapshot of it, like right before a commercial. And yeah, this is what happened earlier today, because we don't right. give a shit about them. <laughs> exactly. It's a, I don't know why I'm always doing the old-timey people. Like, welcome to the 1994 Oscars! You know, like, no, it, no, it's like that never happened. Maybe in the, like, 70s, I don't know. <laughs> that one guy's like, no one ever used me for the Oscar announcements. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the wrong decade. <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to, back to Terminator Two. Uh, you know what I? So I watched the timestamps of this today, and it's crazy when you think of the iconic scenes because the mall scene and the sewer chase scene. Oh, I don't know if it's a sewer. I I don't know what you call that. The like aqueducts or whatever. Isn't that just the Los Angeles River, but it's not a river, it's just like the sewer? Sure. Yeah. I think that's what they call it. But that chase scene throughout that, that's not until 32 minutes. See, it seems it seems like it's earlier. I, I know. I was surprised this time watching it, and I was like, oh, this is happening already. So in Matt's other podcast, the AF High List, when I was on there and we talked about Star Wars, I remember like being shocked when you told me that they land on the Death Star over an hour into the film. But the editing is so good that you just don't know. You're so captivated in the movie that I'm like, wow. That If you would have asked me before we did Terminator 2, how long into the movie until that, you know, the mall sewer chase scene? I'd have said like 20 minutes. You know, it starts at like minute 32 and ends at like, that's like a seven minute scene, by the way. It ends almost 40 minutes into the movie. I'd have been like, you're fucking, you're fucking with me. I don't think I've ever checked the time watching this movie, ever. You know, like, <laughs> I don't think I could tell you when stuff happens. It's so breezily paced that I don't, I've never checked the time. It, to me, it just, it all flows, you know? And, and by the time it's over, I'm like, oh, it's over already? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and it's over two hours. Right. To me, this movie feels like it's like, a little over 90 minutes. Right. But it's put together so well, and it's just incredible. You know, the, I mean, same editor from the first one. Yeah, he worked on it. Goldblatt. Yeah, Goldblatt uh, worked was on was one it. of the three editors on this yeah. one. Conrad Buff and um, Richard A. Harris. Don't Richard A. Harris sounds like a name I've heard before. I feel uh, like yeah, I don't, he's I don't done know quite these, a bit. I don't know yeah, these editors. Like, really yeah, I mean, even going into it, like, what I noticed about this film was... Um, James Cameron directed, produced, written. I mean, he was the man on this film. So I guess after Aliens, he could just kind of do whatever he wants. Yeah, this was definitely a direct result of, like, well, in the abyss, uh, a direct result of those being like, okay, go. Here's some money. Go. And did you, I mean, Adam Adam Greenberg came back, and of course the, the amazing music by Brad Fadell. Which I'm assuming after this, because this even made like the top 100 albums out at the time. It's a good score. <laughs> like I, I don't know how many movie soundtracks where it's just a score makes the top 100. Maybe what, it does. I don't know. I think what Brad Fidel did that with the score that made it so uh, beyond just iconic, like like just mainstream popular, is that he took the already really good score from the 80s. 
and uh, brought it into the 90s, modernized it. You know, like he really made it like the heavy metal version of the 80s theme. Yeah, the like synth sound and everything. He just turned it into like heavy metal. And then it was also helped, you know, with like Bad to the Bone and Guns N' Roses. But I don't even think they had those songs in the soundtrack when you bought it. The Guns N' Roses one was. That was the only song. That's the only one. The score and that one song. Because that was for the movie. Mm -hmm. That was made for the, the T2. It's also even just the like scenes whenever there's the Terminator, it has just like his theme, which is kind of like that, like the drumming sounds that da 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 da, and then Mm -hmm. there's kind of like a chime. You could just hear the chime that one single note goes like that, and you're like, oh, that's from Terminator. Like, (laughs) there's not many, there's not many movies where you can just take like one beat of the uh, the background and name what movie that's from. You know? Yeah, it's like Vader's. Mm-hmm. mantra or whatever you'd call it behind him mm-hmm. where it's just like you can just hear of like a little clip of three seconds and you're like i terminator the yeah. star wars darth vader like some people just have that and i mean that's iconic i mean jaws or yeah. you know michael myers you don't need to hear the entire thing just a little clip and you're like that's how iconic it is going into you know even more into this film like the fighting scenes between Robert Patrick and Arnold Schwarzenegger are just so good. And I think they only clash. <sighs> okay. They clash at the mall and in the aqueducts or sewer or river, whatever we're calling it. They clash at the Institute that um, Sarah Connor's at the psych ward or whatever that is where he chases down the car and then for the longest time, they don't meet until the end. And, and their fighting styles are like, even their characters' looks are contrast so well. Where I heard James Cameron called the Terminator, you know, the T-800. If he's a tank, then the T-1000's a Porsche. Right. And I think they do such a good job with that. Because even when he comes up with that, uh, when Robert Patrick is on the police bike, that's like the coolest looking police bike you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's so it's so smart because you have the the Terminator, you have Arnold in the leather in the biker outfit, and then you have the T one thousand as like a cop, and it's like the cop versus biker thing, and it's just like it's brilliant. Everything was thought out. Everything was thought out, and they were the like, "How do we make all of this cool?" And... Mm-hmm. No, you're right. It's like stuff that shouldn't be cool is just so cool, and and Robert Patrick's. Um, mannerisms and the way he carries himself was so well put together by himself or whoever with along with the costumes and everything he's wearing i think they i i know they had a blast with arnold but i think arnold they already knew the type of character that they were building they were just adding to him they're like okay we're not going to give you that 80s coat jacket we're going to give you like a biker jacket We've seen this character. He is the heavy metal. He is the Guns N' Roses look and everything like that. I think Robert Patrick, they actually probably had a little bit more fun putting it together because they let their imaginations roam. And what's funny is he's in a boring ass cop uniform, but it feels so much more. Right. He disappears in that costume. Like he is that... When you think of the T-1000, you think of him in that cop outfit. You don't just think of the liquid him. You think of him in that outfit. It's iconic. His character roaming through the entire movie where he's playing the stepmom 
And also, a credit to all the actors who had to play the T-1000 as their character, like the stepmom. That's probably why she got that role. Yeah. Is because he trusted um, Goldstein to play herself as this as the foster mom as the t-1000 uh same thing with the twin cops Mm -hmm. Uh, i know that's why that twin you remember like he got a role in gremlins 2 or he they got a role in gremlins 2 you know he he had had a nice little run those twins had a nice run in the 90s i remember him in uh uh, both of them in commercials yeah i forgot about that Mm -hmm. uh anyway um Good job to all the characters. I think it was... Was it just them two? Was it just the cop and was it just Gold Goldstein? I think no, so. I just yeah. remember him turning into them at the end when he's melting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Those are two I can picture. Right. Oh, and Linda Hamilton's sister playing uh, Sarah Connor at the end, which if you didn't know, yes, Linda Hamilton has an identical twin sister. So which She played uh, in a scene that was cut and it's in the director's cut, I think, where um, they decide they're going to take the microchip out and and switch it on so that he can begin to learn. And they have this whole set where she's working on a dummy, and it makes it look like there's a mirror, but it's actually Arnold sitting on the other side of an empty frame, and he's mimicking what the puppet's doing, and then her twin is doing the reflection, and they're, they've just got it choreographed. So it looks like they're in a mirror. So mm-hmm. it can be one continuous shot and that comes over her shoulder and you see her pull back this flap that has this giant gaping hole way deep down into Arnold's head. Mm-hmm. And she's able to pull that out and it can be all in one you know, continuous shot. Yeah, she has to remove the two screws and then go into the... pull out the CP, CPU chip. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I watched that one today. I... The first time I watched it a couple weeks ago, I watched it theatrical, and today I watched the extended uh, special edition. I don't know. There's three of them. So there's the extended special edition. There's the theatrical, and what's the other one? I think it's just the special edition. So it's like the one is 15 minutes longer, and then the other one is 20 minutes longer. So it's like Mm -hmm. special edition and the extended special edition. Yeah, I watched the extended special edition today because that's the one that has Michael Bean in it. Yeah, it's the flashback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the longest the version. Yeah, and it also has the smile <laughs> where he does yeah. the really bad smile. That's great. But because they smile. yeah, because they took that out, then the when he grabs the uh minigun, it doesn't make as much sense cuz then he has the small smile and he goes, "That one's definitely you." <laughs> that's definitely you. But it still worked in the movie just because you knew he was trying to make him more human the entire time. Right. Yeah, it still works in either mm-hmm. version. Yeah. And this is something fascinating that I did not put together until today. Do you realize the T-800 kills no one in this entire film except the T-1000? Yeah, because he stops him. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, John Connor stops him when he almost kills like those those one guys. And the, and the one scene when he's like, stop, stop, we don't do that. Like, Yeah, the, the like weightlifter looking guy. Yeah. He's just like, you were going to blow him away. Yes, I am a Terminator. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Just go around killing people. Why? (laughs) The humor in this film is so subtle and so good. You know, this in True Lies, I always remember, like, how good he is 
or how good he became him and his writers, whoever he's working with, with general audiences humor where I never thought it was stupid. I always thought it just made sense to the character of the movie. Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely. Like even, even beyond the humor, like, you know, by the time he says hasta la vista baby at the end, you're cheering, you know? And then like, and, and it's sort of like the, the way they develop them as a family should have been cheesy in every way, but it never is in this movie. It feels like an opera in this movie. Uh, like it feels like it, like like it should, uh, honestly. It never feels like it's pandering to the audience. Everything just works. I guess we'll just skip to the end because there's so much to talk about in this film, and we're already over an hour. You know, like the Miles Dyson scene with his family, and then when he cuts off the skin on his arm, and he's just mm-hmm. like, "Listen to me very carefully." You know, like that. That even that, I remember that so much as a kid, it freaking me out. I was like, "He just cut off his arm." Does it grow yeah. back? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, if he's alive for 120 years, would it eventually grow back? I thought about that, too. And I'm like, he's never going to live that long. As an adult, I'm like, he don't care. He ain't going to make it that long. <laughs> yeah. And then going into the the amazing, um, where they're in the facility trying to destroy the, you know, trying to get the CPU chip and trying to get the arm. That... I mean, I I could just turn on the movie right there and be happy, even though I never watched this movie in small chunks. It's from minute one to the end. They get into the facility and then you get the sadness of Miles Dyson dying. But man, he doesn't die for no reason. That's for damn sure. Mm -hmm. I do have a question and I did not look it up. Is that star or is that cop that comes in and looks at Miles Dyson and Dyson goes, I don't know how much longer I can hold this. And then I always hear his breathing echoing in my head. <sighs> yeah. Is that Dean Norris? Yes. Okay. Is, is yeah. Dean Norris the guy from um, Breaking Bad? Yes. And uh, uh-huh. Total Recall, uh, Starship Troopers, always plays a cop. Almost I so, always. I think the, like... Maybe the time before this, I watched this, was the actually the first time I realized it was him, though. Yep, that is him. All right, okay. Even through a mask, I can tell my Dean. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they get down to that uh, the highway chase scene, which the helicopter smashing into the back of the um, SWAT car. Uh, and then we get to the amazing uh, liquid, uh, what was it, nitrogen? Well, it was just in the factory because they, yeah, well, they have the nitrogen, but they the also liquid have nitrogen. Like, they also have like the 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 molten steel too. Yeah, so. it's a, it's a it's, smelting it's some factory. kind of factory. Yeah. Well, the, or the the liquid nitrogen smashes into the smelting factory, like I don't know, gate, the opening door, and then we get the T one thousand freezing, and then Asta La Vista, which all you know, everyone was just like, "Oh my god, it's amazing." Pays it off perfectly. Yeah. Hasta la vista, baby. And then you can he... do combination. Chill out, D-Quad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just get your... I just want your opinion, uh, both of you. Like, I've heard people complain that Edward Furlong is annoying in this film. I never got that. I felt like he was just a teenage kid way over his head, doing the best he could, and he does a hell of a job. I never felt he was annoying. No, I mean no. there's so there's so many action movies and '90s movies and '80s movies that have so many like annoying kid characters. I never thought that once with 
John Connor in this ever. You want the kid to act like John Connor in this movie when in the in those other movies. I wanted to be that kid, and then I realized I'm not cool. <laughs> I was like, "You can't tell me what to do, Todd." And my dad was just like, "You're a junior. Your name is my name." Like, <laughs> and I am. She is your mother. <laughs> yeah. This kid is. I, I knew what I you're saying makes sense. <laughs> I, don't, I I know you want to be Edward Frolong right now with your butt cut, but um, <laughs> the butt cut, it's not working. Your uh, public enemy shirt and your uh, classic what is it flannel tied around your waist. Don't tell me what to do, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> now that's something I can do because that's my dad's name. Yeah, that's. Oh man, you should have used that. Yeah, and they, and they get into this when they get into the smelting factory. Uh, one of the things I found out today. So originally, the Terminator was supposed to get the shit kicked out of it uh, by the you know by T one thousand, and then he was supposed to die and then just come back and get back up. But James Cameron's like, you know, we've looked at the edit. I think it's going to confuse the audience. It doesn't make sense. They how do they know that you're rebooting? So he asked Arnold, "Hey, I, I need you to come back." And do reshoots where you're rebooting and you rip the pole out of your body and then, you know, then we'll go on with the rest of the movie we already had. And Arnold was like, well, I'm going to go and visit my good friend Bruce Willis for Christmas. And I I hope this is a true story where he's like, I'm going to visit him for Christmas because immediately I'm like, oh, my God, maybe James Cameron broke up the real Christmas vacation of Bruce Willis and Arnold where he's got to, you know, save, he's got to save the Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> that was going to be, <laughs> but uh, apparently on Christmas day, they recorded him taking the impaled rod out of him, out of himself and rebooting. That is dedication for one small scene, but damn it. Good job. Because it does, it does make sense. You get to see him reboot, and you you cheer for it. I remember, even today, I've seen this film so many times, I'm like, yeah, yeah, reboot, get up, go get him, go get him. Linda needs your help. Oh, you're so hyped during the end of that movie. You have, you could have T2 on, on a regular Sunday afternoon, whatever, while you're doing stuff. You sit down for, like, those last 15 minutes of that movie. Like, Oh, yeah. Like it's it, you can't take your eyes off of it, and mm-hmm. like when he comes back and he melts him and he morphs into all the different things he was, and then he like you know his face pops in there, and then the moment you realize that Arnold's gonna go in there next, you're like, fuck, it's just captivating. Mm-hmm. The sadness comes when they throw the hand in, they throw the chip in, and then you know the T eight hundred Arnold reminds Edward Furlong that there's one chip remaining. And he points to his head and then mm-hmm. like as a kid, I just remember like, no, I I was John. I'm sure like a lot of you, like it was devastating. Yeah. yeah. When I was young and saw this movie, I bawled, bawled when I, when I saw this movie, I just wept <laughs> like when I was younger, you know, they have to do it. He has to, you know, he can't self terminate. It still sucks. It still sucks seeing that to this day. Yep. But we still get the thumbs up, which is so iconic. And with that, that is why I don't think we should have ever had any stories 
after you know like like uh uh terminator 3 5 and 6 should not have existed this is how this should end yeah and i I think it's really interesting because i mean terminator 3 linda hamilton doesn't come back we'll get more into that when we break it down but you know her reasoning was my character's story is done right what what are we doing the story was done. I don't know why we have... I understand why 4 exists, because it's the the wars or whatever, but 3, 5, and 6 just should not have but even ever happened. <laughs> even 4 shouldn't happen, because they stopped it. True, true. 4 only happens because of 3, so yeah. We'll get more into 3. I don't want to spoil... Most of you probably know how we feel. I'm pretty sure in other podcast so we've been like terminator 3 <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i mean going into the behind the scenes on this i've got some pretty good ones where you know i already mentioned linda hamilton's twin sister this was the only terminator film to be nominated for oscars it won four out of the six robert patrick mimic the head movements of an american bald eagle for his role of the t-1000 i don't know if i get that I just like the way he moves. I don't know what he modeled it after, but I like how it looks. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Uh, I also heard uh, James Cameron explain that Linda Hamilton suffered permanent hearing loss in her one ear during the elevator scene because she forgot to replace her earplugs after removing them between takes. Ooh. Suffering for your art. Yeah. Uh, This is pretty funny. Arnold Schwarzenegger was given a slightly used Gulfstream 3 airplane worth... $14 $14 million by the producer Mario Kasser for accepting his role in this film. And do you guys um, know about the O.J. Simpson possible casting? No. Terminator? Yes. I can't remember if it's the first or the second one, but uh, no, it's this one. It's definitely this one where a studio head said, hey, we want to use O.J. Simpson as the bad Terminator in this. And James Cameron had to tell him, awesome, let's have a black man chasing a white woman through L.A. for two hours. And the uh, <laughs> the producer is like, huh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we won't do that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I also love how James Cameron's so blunt. That was weird. Um, I know that... This is this is really messed up in the times we're in right now. Um, we haven't talked about it much. I think we're just right now. Maybe we will. Maybe sometimes we get political. For this one, I'll let it ride. But it, it was kind of rough to read that the Rodney King beating actually happened really close on the same night that they recorded the bar scene where uh, the Terminator. Got his, you know, his his clothes, his boots, and his motorcycle. Really? And that's where James Cameron got the original story idea for Strange Days. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and they, they sat there and James Cameron's talked about it. He's like, we knew something bad was happening. We could hear the the ambulance. We could hear the, the police officers and everything. We knew something was happening. But, you know, we had a movie. It's L.A. at night. So it's like we had a movie to do, so you know we blocked off the sound as much as we could. And they were gonna re-record it anyway, but yeah, when they found out what was happening, it was kind of like a whoa, uh, kind of like you know, yeah, it was kind of like a realization that the real world's still happening around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and here's the last one: 
uh, to lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, Industrial Light Magic's computer graphics department had to grow from six artists to almost 36 to accommodate all the work required to bring the T-1000 to life, costing $5.5 million and taking eight months to produce, which ultimately amounted to 3.5 minutes of screen time. Wow. So they were kind of freaking out at a lot of the production company. Um, they don't Car- exist anymore. Carloco? Carloco, yeah. They were freaking out at the amount of money he was spending. Because the initial budget was $75 million. That turned into eighty-five. The, which now they report the budget just on the movie. This is not including the marketing. The budget's ninety-four to one hundred and two million dollars, depending on who you asked. Which, wow. with marketing, this movie probably and reshoots, which some budgets don't include reshoots. With marketing, I would say this movie cost easily one hundred and fifty million dollars. And they made it, and they probably made yeah. it all right back. <laughs> yeah, the oh, global yeah. box office. Is five hundred and twenty point eight million dollars. Yep, that makes sense. <laughs> Which, if you calculate that into now, it is the biggest rated R movie of all time. That makes sense. In my head, I don't think of it as a rated R movie because it's like such a childhood movie of mine. Yeah, but you know, people getting stabbed with blades. <laughs> Yeah, like when yeah, yeah. Objectively, when you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, completely. But like my nostalgic memory of it is like, no, that's not that. Well, I think it's it's because of James Cameron's ability to play to general audiences so well. He took a rated mm-hmm. R movie and basically made it like a family event. Well, then plus the toys, the video games, like all of those, like also led to it being consumed by younger viewers and stuff too. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you sitting here telling me that the marketers would market this towards children? Yeah, because I <laughs> had the whole line of toys. <laughs> yeah, I love looking at the pictures of the toys, and I'll play the commercial right now. Terminator. I'm back. Got to find John Connor. But evil T-1000 gets to him first. Hey, back off. Terminator's heavy metal cycle zeroes in and fires. Ah. But T-1000 stands to get even. This is for getting on my bad side. You're next, John Connor. I'm back. Terminator deploys his secret weapon. Hasta la vista, baby. Terminator this time. Terminator is back. It's such a blast from the past because I had forgotten what they looked like. And then it just all came roaring back when I saw that commercial. Yeah, yeah. I had I had a lot of these. Uh, we were talking before we went on, though. I never had the one where you put the exoskeleton in the flesh and make it, like, have it the outer coating or whatever. Never mm-hmm. had that one, but I wish I could get that one. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I had the T-800, uh, but I didn't have that either, the exoskeleton. Now, did they sell the T-800 by itself? I think so. I think okay. my brother had that, and I had like the power arm one. The reason I asked that is because I was trying to figure out: Did I steal that T eight hundred from someone? Because <laughs> I didn't have the exoskeleton thing. So, but did you uh, take maybe it from your uh, is it your cousin that has the man cave with all your like your beast statue? No, my brother. Your brother. That son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. That's my mom. <laughs> Uh, going into the video games, I played the the Terminator 2 NES game. It was better than the first one, that's for sure. 
because you got to play as Arnold. That was cool. I didn't play the Game Boy one. John, you said you had played that, right? Yeah, I played the Game Boy. I, I wasn't good, so I didn't get far in it, but you start off as John Connor, and it's the mission where you go and you reprogram a T-800 to send in time to protect yourself. The one I remember the most is the Terminator 2 arcade game. Yes, mm-hmm. this one I had on Genesis, and I played every time I went to the mall. Yep, I played it every time we went to the theater, and we beat it. Yeah, it's be- it's Whoa. beatable. It's like it's doable. Yeah, it spent a lot of money, I'm sure, on it. But... <laughs> um, I do not remember the pinball machine as a kid, but in our latest trip to Portland, which now is like feels like I don't know eight years ago because of COVID nineteen, time doesn't make any sense in my head anymore. <laughs> uh, I think it was just last year. Um, <laughs> But uh, I played the pinball machine at one of the Portland arcades. I've played it before too. Uh, maybe also, maybe also in one of the arcades in Portland because I went a few years ago too. But I played the pinball game. It's fun. I like the arcade game the best though. I agree. Um, I never played the NES or Sega Genesis uh, one. Now, so did they make an arcade one and a regular side scroller? It appears so. Yeah, the the Genesis one is the same as the arcade game. Okay. Instead of you poop, you pointing a shooter at it, you just do it with the controllers. Yeah, I, I didn't play that for one uh, that one on Sega, so that's interesting because I know the the Super Nintendo one was a side scroller by LJN. All right, uh, that will do it for behind the scenes. Let's travel into our museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out into the film jungle like Indiana Jones and bring something back. And this is going in our Terminator wing of the museum. We're going through the Terminator franchise, number one through number six. Is there six Uh of these movies? Six of these fuckers. Yeah, it's amazing. So we're going with Terminator 2, the peak of the mountain. We are climaxing early. Oh, I said it. <laughs> Sorry for the visual, folks. Um, all right, John, you're the guest. You've been wonderful. I'm going to let you go first for this wing of the museum. All right. Uh, for this one, I'm going to put in the uh, the special effects and more so that it's kind of like the precursor to where people were like, we can use like computer animation in movies. Like it was kind of the first time that was really like a a more realistic thing that they could do and it kind of uh, a lot of the people in the industry would say that it was the thing that kind of kicked them and got them excited industry-wise but not so much the uh i'm sorry not so much industry-wise but like people who were working in on cg and stuff like that they were like oh my gosh we can make movies with this but the industry really wasn't like nah. But it was, uh, when you ask them, it was kind of the precursor to, like, Jurassic Park and stuff like that. I, I'm going to I'm gonna put the opening scene of Bad to the Bone. I just think nice. it's one of the best introductions to a character to a movie ever. It's such a 90s thing, too. Yeah. Love yeah, it. Yeah, this movie really kicked in the door to, like, 90s cinema in the best way possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. But just the 90s brought so much style. I mean, the 80s had it, too. Yeah, it was just, it's different. It was just it's a different, different time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I, I'm going to go off of what you just said for my museum. Um, I wanted to put in like the look of this movie, and maybe it's the cinematography, maybe it's the art direction, maybe it's production design, however you want to call it. But uh, you know, whether whether it's um, what's his name, Adam Greenberg cinematography, or the other thing they said. I love the look of this movie, and that's got to be the museum for me. Like uh, from the, you know, the neon lights that are shooting out of the guns in the opening scenes, the the blue of the apocalypse, the way like the mall looks and the mall scene, um, the look of this movie is just like defining for me of like all the kind of cinema that I like. So like the look of this is my favorite part by far. Hell yeah. We also didn't even talk about like the apocalyptic burning of the park. Woo. Yeah. Great scene. That's a horror scene right there. Just like, ugh, nasty. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the look of this one. But yep. like I said at the top, it's the greatest movie of all time. So there's that too. <laughs> yeah. But the entire movie in the museum? Is that allowed? Yeah. Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> uh, all right. John, thank you for coming back. And thank you for doing Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It's been fun and it's it's been a great two podcasts to talk and discuss. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yes. Thanks for coming. Thanks for hanging with us on these two. Uh, the, the, what, a, what a fun combo of movies we got to do together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, that'll end it this week. Come back next week when we do Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. The, yes. Yeah. Come back. We, you don't have to watch it before, I promise. <laughs> Just you get to listen to us. I promise. Oh, love it. Yes. All right, everyone. Remember to be kind. And rewind.